0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel. Today's message is, what's so amazing about grace? Second Samuel chapter 9. I'm only going to read the first verse right now. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Let us pray. Father, I thank you that we are saved by grace alone. What a beautiful word, the word grace. And I ask and pray, God, that you would open the eyes of us that don't know you. And I pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word. I pray for your Holy Spirit and your presence, God, in in this place right now. Come. Speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. When you hear the word grace, what do you think of? We sometimes refer to ballet dancers or skaters as having grace. British subjects refer to royalty as your grace. There are even churches that are called Grace Bible Church. Uh, I know another church here in Railway City called Redeeming Grace. Um, Composers add what they call grace notes to music. And that's a small addition or embellishment. You know, credit card companies, rental car companies, and mortgage companies extend what they call grace periods to their customers. I've had to have that. And many times we say grace at meals. The, I went to Office Depot last month and bought some things and the cashier's name, I said, grace. Parliament declares an act of grace to pardon criminals. We sometimes say or talk about the Queen of England as bringing grace to a social event. So the word grace has many uses. But in the Bible, Paul uses it in the opening salutation in his letters to the churches. And uh, I'm going to ask several men to speak and read the verse. Uh, Andrew, would you read Romans 1-7? Thank you. Ken, would you read 1 Corinthians 1-3? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Steve, would you read 2 Corinthians 1-2? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Jerry, Galatians 1-3. Real loud. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Joe, Ephesians 1-2. God our father and the lord jesus christ. Okay, well, you get the point. He uses it objectively. And what what uh, the dictionary says about this word when you use it objectively is that which gives pleasure, delight or favorable regard. It's like it's being used here as a greeting. But the way I want us to look at it is subjectively. The other definition of grace, which is on the part of the giver. Grace on the part of the giver means loving kindness, unmerited favor, undeserved love. It comes from the Greek word charis, which means an undeserved act of kindness. It refers to all that God has given to us in Christ, nothing of which we can earn or repay. That's important. You cannot earn it, you cannot be good enough. you cannot repay it. Grace is bestowed by God the Father in Second Corinthians one twelve, and Christ in Romans five fifteen, Galatians one six, and Second Thessalonians one twelve, which testifies to the deity of Christ. God gives grace; Christ gives grace. It points to the deity of Christ. When I first became a Christian. I knew very little about grace. I'm going to tell you the truth. I had barely tasted of grace myself. And I just want to say I am no expert on grace. But this one thing I do know. I know that grace comes free of charge to people who do not deserve it. And I am one of those people. Grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. We have an acronym that we say, grace, God's riches, at Christ's expense. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. Christ went to the cross and bore the price for that grace. There is a story in the Old Testament that illustrates the second definition of this word, charis, without ever using the word in these 13 verses. It, it's in Second Samuel chapter 9. And it is, in my humble opinion, the greatest illustration of grace in all the Old Testament. It's about a man with an unusual name, Mephibosheth. Say that with me. Mephibosheth. One more time. Mephibosheth. It is a beautiful, unforgettable story. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, I have a short four-point message. And the first point is the request. David was a man of war. In fact, he was a very courageous warrior. He was often involved in battles and stressful situations. However, at this point of his life, he was in an interlude of peace and quiet. It was during this time that David was thinking about his past. Specifically about his best friend Jonathan and his predecessor King Saul. And while reflecting on the impact these two men had on his life, he began to think about a promise that he had made. Let's look at chapter 9 verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. This is an unfortunate translation because what David was expressing was much deeper than that. The original Hebrew word could be and should be translated grace, that I may show him grace for Jonathan's sake. I've crossed out the word kindness and I put the word grace there in my Bible. Grace. What is grace? Grace is unconditional acceptance. In spite of the other person. Unconditional acceptance. In spite of the other person. And if you really think about that. This can get pretty deep. Because there are some people we think do not deserve grace. Especially mass murderers. Rapists. Things like that. Grace is a demonstration of love. That cannot be. That is not deserved. That is unearned. And unrepayable. That is grace. So why did David want to do that? Why did he want to show grace? Because of two promises he made. Turn to, keep keep your uh, place in 2 Samuel 9. We're going to keep going back to that. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Just a few pages ahead. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in front of you or look on with somebody 1st Samuel chapter 13 I mean 1st Samuel chapter 20 verse 13 but should it please my father to do you harm the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. And here's what I want to point out. That I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Chapter 24. Just a few pages over. That was a promise he had made to Jonathan. And here in chapter 24, it's a promise he makes to King Saul. Verse 20. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Okay? David had promised both Jonathan and King Saul that he would not destroy their offspring. David had not forgotten that promise, that I may show him grace for Jonathan's sake. This grace is given because of another. And we, as believers, do not deserve this grace. In fact, if we received what we really deserved, we would receive judgment, damnation, and hell. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. God extends His grace to us because of another. Because of His love for His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 1, the key word is anyone. Is there still anyone Thank God for our Lord's amazing grace that knows no boundaries. It extends to all people, regardless of race, color, creed, your, your past, your sins. God's grace knows no boundaries. Revelation twenty two seventeen says that the Lord's grace extends to whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will. No one can earn it. No one deserves it. But, friend, whosoever can receive it. Amen? That's amazing. So, here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find David thinking about those promises that he had made. And he starts by asking the people in his court Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness or demonstrate grace? Because And look, that's the key word. Because of Jonathan. Notice he doesn't say, is there anyone good enough? He doesn't say, is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone qualified? No. He says, is there anyone still living who should be the recipient of my grace? See, that is grace. That is unqualified acceptance based on unconditional love. You have to remember, was Saul King David's friend? No, he was his bitter enemy. He chased him for 13 years. He had to hide in caves. It was a terrible time for David. He was in the depths of despair because of King Saul. Matter of fact, many he hunted him down like a dog. Saul was David's bitter enemy. But that did not matter because grace is unconditional acceptance in spite of the other person. When you think about it, it's deep. But notice who initiated this search. It was David. David initiated the search. And God is the one who initiates and seeks after us. We weren't looking for God, but God was calling and looking for you. Notice what it says in verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Ziba says, yes, David, there is still a son, but he is crippled in his feet. Ziba is implying to David, David, you better think twice about doing this. Because this handicapped, disabled, crippled is not going to look very good in this beautiful palace. (laughs) And David's response is beautiful. I love what he says. He says, Where is he? Donde esta? I had to get bilingual there. (laughs) He doesn't ask how badly. He doesn't even want to know how did it happen. All he wants to know is where is he? Donde esta? That's grace. That is grace. Grace is one-sided. It is not I scratch your back, you scratch my back. It is not a partnership. It is not teamwork. Grace is God giving himself in full acceptance to someone who does not deserve it and can never or ever will be able to repay it. That is grace. Unconditional acceptance in spite of the other person. A demonstration of love that is undeserved, unearned, and unrepayable. And that, brothers and sisters, it is what makes this so remarkable a strong and famous king stoops down and reaches out to a crippled disabled handicapped man what a contrast strong and powerful weak and crippled and yet he reaches down to that person and that's just like the song we sang Your grace is enough. Heaven reaching down to us. That is exactly what God did. Heaven reaching down to sinners. What a contrast. Where is he? He is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lo-Debar. Lo in the Hebrew means no. Debar is the root word meaning pasture land. Mephibosheth is in a place with no pasture land. Mephibosheth is living in a dry, barren wasteland, hiding out for the rest of his life in obscurity. Keep your place in 2 Samuel 9 and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 4. How did Mephibosheth become crippled? Who asked that? How did Mephibosheth become Good question, Darlene. I like that. How did Mephibosheth become crippled? So let's look at 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. I want to ask you, why was this nurse so fearful? Why did she hurry up and do this? She was fearful because she knew now that Saul and Jonathan had been killed that he would be executed. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But when the nurse heard that Saul and and Jonathan were killed in battle, she hurriedly picked up the little prince to protect him and fled. But as she ran, she probably tripped and fell. And the, the little prince fell, and was permanently disabled as a result. And how old was he? How old was he, Ken? Five years old. Remember that. Five years old, permanently crippled. Was it his fault? Mm -mm. So one, we have the request. Where is he? Number two, we have the reaction. Look at verse five. Five and six. Now turn back to 2 Samuel 9. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Can you imagine with me (laughs) Mephibosheth's shock when he heard the soldiers' horses at his door, outside his house, remember, he was hiding. And we don't know how old he was, but we do know he already had a family because in verse 12 it tells us that he had a son named Micah. So I guess, I estimate he's about 20 years old. But after hearing the sound of the horses, and then hearing the knock at the door, Mephibosheth opens the door and then he sees the faces of the king's soldiers. And he's panicked shocked stunned and amazed like they found us and then the soldiers tell him the king wants to see you oh no the king can you imagine the shock can you imagine the reaction of Mephibosheth oh no he probably thought this is the end why would he think that why was the nurse so fearful Because in those days, it was common for ancient kings and rulers to do a search of the previous ruling party and massacre the family. Why? So that that those uh, relatives wouldn't be able to challenge their reign or their throne. They wouldn't be able to regain the throne. So it was common back then. And who is Mephibosheth? He is the grandson of King Saul, he's the surviving heir. Fear must have gripped his heart. He was shaking in his boots because he is the direct descendant of Saul. He deserves nothing but judgment from the king. And I I think that must have been a long ride to the palace. He he probably thought I might never see my son and my wife again. But that wasn't the case with King David. David. King David wanted to do this because he trusted God and he wanted to show charity. He wanted to show that he had forgiven what had been done to him by his enemy, King Saul. And we too, as Christians, must not be reluctant to forgive those who hurt us, but to show them love. Do not repay evil with evil, 1 Peter 3.9 says, but repay evil with good. With one word, David could have eliminated any further competition to the throne. Imagine with me, if you will, Mephibosheth hobbling into the throne room. And he sees the opulent curtains, the rich furnishings, the expensive rug. The best the world had at that time. And then in comes this poor, weak Crippled, disabled, deposed prince. Probably trembling and shaking, thinking, oh no, waiting for the sword to chop off of his head from his body. Fearful. Why? Because remember, David was a bloody man. He was a man of war. And do you remember who he killed? Goliath, big old nine-foot man, yeah, he was a giant slayer. He was a man of war. And that's why he wasn't allowed to build the temple. He was a bloody man. And Mephibosheth's reaction was, I am condemned. I am judged. And the truth is we are all judged and condemned because we are all sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve judgment. You don't You you don't just die and go straight to heaven. We deserve judgment. And that's why we need the cross. So one, the request. Two, the reaction. And three, the restoration. Verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Suddenly, this bloody warrior does the most unusual thing. David says, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Why did I say it like that? Because I think he said it here with tenderness. Imagine, you have not seen your best friend's grandson, and this is the first time you ever saw him. Imagine you being a grandparent and seeing your grandchild for the first time. What are you going to say? Hey, bud, what's going on? No, you're going to say their name with love and tenderness. Mephibosheth. It's how I envision it. Behold, I am your servant. And David immediately put the crippled man at ease. What did he say? Verse 7. And David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Why did he call him? Why did he bring him there? And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Why did David bring him there? To restore all the land that had been his grandfather's. And to me, that was probably a pretty substantial amount. He was the king. He wasn't poor. He probably owned a good chunk of land and property. So he puts him at ease right away. He gives him his grandfather's land. A moment before, he thought he was going to be killed. Mephibosheth, who was so poor, living in a barren wasteland, in somebody else's house. Now he was rich beyond his wildest dreams. That's how you know how poor he was. He didn't even have his own place. Can you imagine? He didn't even have his own place, living in somebody else's house. And now he's rich beyond his wildest imagination. Mephibosheth accepts his kindness with great humiliation. He says, why would you show such regard to a dead dog such as I? You know what that meant? That was an insult. A dead dog was an insult. A dead dog has no worth, no value. And back then, dogs were not held in high regard like they are today. Back then, a dog (laughs) was just a dog. Okay? They didn't eat good food, you know, open up a can, pour it out, or all this good bone stuff, no. They didn't take them to the groomers. There were no dog shows, you know. And some dogs, not in my house, but at some dogs, they even sleep on the bed. Mm -mm. A dog back then was just a dog. Some of you are laughing. I know that means what what your dog is. (sighs) Dogs were held in contempt. So basically, Mephibosheth is comparing himself, himself to something worthless, insignificant. And that is the same opinion we should have of ourselves as believers. We are nothing. We are nobody without Christ. Don't think of yourself more highly than you want. We are worthless, insignificant, dead dogs. But suddenly, Mephibosheth Position was transformed from that of a helpless and poor cripple now to a powerful and wealthy man who had direct access to the king and ate at his table. Wow. Look at verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. What did uh, Mephibosheth inherit? Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is a picture of your state and mine. We are sinners, enemies of God, crippled and poor, deserving judgment and damnation. Living in a land without pasture, we are taken from this helpless estate and brought into the very household of God. Basically, we are made rich in Jesus. And through Him, we have direct access to God. How great and wonderful is that? That's what's so amazing about grace. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what's so amazing about grace. We have a hope, a hope that is greater than what we have in this world. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to glory. Amen. That's what's so amazing about grace. It can't be taken from you if you are a child of God. That's what's so wonderful and great, great about grace. David not only restored to Mephibosheth all the land that Saul owned, but 15 sons of Ziba to till the land. I like that. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do the gardening. No, I like that. Uh, 20 servants to, uh, in Ziba's have become the property of Mephibosheth. And then to eat at the king's table forever free food every day? Yeah. (laughs) And before I rush through this, think about this for a second. Eat at the king's table. Who's at that table? Of course, the family of David. And then I know probably one of the people there was the, the captain of the army, Joab, strong, muscular soldier. Yeah. He probably walked like this, you know, with his big old long sword and his sheath. He was, he was bad. You know, he, he was the captain of the army. Strong man. Then think about it. Who else was there? Absalom. Absalom, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 14, was perfect. He was handsome. Guapo. Good looking man. The Bible said that he was so good looking that he was, there was no blemish from the crown of his head. To the sole of his foot. Woo! That is good looking. That man was good looking. (laughs) Who else was at that table? Besides Absalom. Joab. Tamar. The Bible says that Tamar was a beautiful woman. I looked up in my concordance. There's only four women that the Bible has called beautiful. And she's one of them. And when the Bible says that something is beautiful, believe me, it is beautiful. She was a knockout. So you have... Joab, you have Absalom, who's just just a beautiful man. and I don't say that very often. You have Tamar, who's a beautiful woman. and Then you have Amnon, another son of David, who's probably clever and witty. And then later on down the road, there's going to be Solomon sitting at that table, the wisest man in the world. So you have strong soldier. You have this... Perfect man, you have this beautiful woman, you have this clever, witty son, and you have the wisest man in the world sitting at that table. That's the cream of the crop, brothers and sisters, the cream. And then they're there sitting at the table, getting ready for the dinner. And then they hear, clump, 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 clump. And there comes Miss Mishphebosheth, humbling Humbly coming to the Lord's, to the king's table on his crutches and takes his place at that table as one of the king's sons. What a scene! That is grace! That is grace! We can come to the Lord's table. That's what's so amazing about grace. And one day, When we go into glory, we will be sitting at the Lord's table. We will be there with Abraham and Moses and David, Peter and Paul, maybe even Mephibosheth. What a picture. What a scene. David, out of pure love for Jonathan, demonstrated grace to his handicapped son. And God... Out of his pure love for his son Jesus Christ and the penalty he paid on the cross demonstrates grace to unbelieving sinners. We are walking with God today because God demonstrated his grace to us out of his love for his son Jesus. Listen to me. Mephibosheth had nothing. He deserved nothing and he could repay nothing. He was hiding in Debar. The same is true of us. We have nothing, we deserve nothing, and we can offer God nothing to save us. Nothing. And we are hiding from God. We are lost, crippled, going to hell. Then came amazing grace, and everything changed. What's so amazing about grace? That once I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. David restored Mephibosheth from a place of barrenness to a place of honor. God took us from being dead in trespasses and sin to a place of plenty and right in the courtyard of the king. David adopted Mephibosheth into his family and he became one of the king's sons. We as believers are adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What's so amazing about grace? That is what's so amazing about grace. Glory to God. So we've looked at the request. We've looked at the reaction. We've looked at the restoration. And lastly, I want to share with you the response. Turn to Second Samuel 16. It's a few pages over. Second Samuel sixteen verses one through four. Let me give you a little background. David was at a low point in his life. David had fled Jerusalem because his son Absalom had revolted and rebelled and took over the throne. So David had to flee. And while David is fleeing, he runs into Ziba. The servant of Mephibosheth, chapter 16, verse 1. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys, saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruit, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat. And the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then king, the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. Ziba gives David donkeys, bread, fruit, and wine. But then he says, where is your master's son? Donde esta? And again, basically, Ziba says, Mephibosheth is staying home, hoping that your son Absalom defeats you. And takes over. So he can take over the throne. Basically Ziba said. Even though Mephibosheth is not loyal. I am loyal. <laughs> um, was it a lie? Of course it was. It was a horrendous lie. And David believes the lie. And he gives everything to Ziba. But it doesn't last for long because not short long after that Absalom's killed and David returns to Jerusalem. Now turn to Second Samuel nineteen verses twenty four to thirty. Second Samuel nineteen twenty four to thirty. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. Okay, this is his homecoming. He's coming back into Jerusalem. And here is Mephibosheth, one of the first people to greet him. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me? Mephibosheth. And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. That's Mephibosheth talking. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But the lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death. Before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those. Who eat at your table. What further right have I. Than than to cry to the king. And the king said to him. Why speak any more of your affairs. I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king. Oh let him take it all. Since my lord the king. Has come home safely. Mm. Mephibosheth is one of the first to go and see David when he returns. And what did Ziba said? Ziba said, oh, Mephibosheth's plotting a a revolt. He's uh, he's hoping you get uh, defeated so he can be on the throne again. And when he comes, David sees. He hasn't taken care of his feet. He hasn't washed his beard. He hasn't taken care of his clothes. Does that sound like someone who's plotting to revolt? No, David, David is coming back and he sees that his Mephibosheth has neglected his personal hygiene. Back then, that was a sign of grieving. You would even sometimes throw ashes on your head. It was a sign of distress for David's situation. Mephibosheth was a mess. He was in mourning for David. But can you sense some anger in David's question in verse 25? Why did you not go with me, I think he was a little angry. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? And he told him, My servant deceived me, he slandered me. Ziba tricked Mephibosheth because Mephibosheth said, Hey, go get the donkeys ready, put all my, my supplies on. And there was, it was all his stuff the wine, the fruit, the bread, everything. And because Mephibosheth is lame, Ziba hurried up, took the, the, the stuff, and left without him. And then basically he slandered Mephibosheth and lied to King David. And when David offers half the land of the inheritance for them to split it, Mephibosheth said no. Do you know what? Give it all to him. What's happy to me is it's just enough to have you back home. You know what that tells me? Mephibosheth said, you know what, David? Your kingdom comes first. Your kingdom, your reign is first. And as Christians, the kingdom of God should come first for us. Mephibosheth doesn't care about all the material things. He doesn't say, hey, David, give me my stuff back. I want my stuff. I want my land, the servants. No. He doesn't care about that. He says, I'm just glad you're back. I'm glad you're here. And to me, that's, that's for us to hear. We're just traveling through. You cannot take it with you. You cannot This world is not our home. Can't take it. Mephibosheth gives grace to Ziba, an undeserved act of kindness. Are you like Ziba, or are you like Mephibosheth? Unconditional acceptance in spite of the other person. Mephibosheth responds with grace. He doesn't deserve it. He had lied to David and deceived Mephibosheth, but he responds with grace. Mephibosheth had received grace from David. Now he responds by giving grace to Ziba. Think about it. Here's this man. How old was he when he got crippled? Five. Now Ziba has slandered him and he loses half his inheritance. Things are, you know, things are not going great anymore. And that's sometimes how it is in our lives. Maybe you've been misjudged. Maybe you've been slandered. Maybe you've been abandoned by your friends or passed over because of false accusations. Maybe you've been let down by church members. Let's be honest. It's painful. It hurts. Our natural reaction is get angry. Get even. Ah, yeah. But that's the flesh. And our flesh is the enemy of God. The Bible says that our flesh... Can never please God. And not to walk in the flesh. I don't care who you are. Someday. Somewhere. You are going to be offended. Slandered. And misjudged. And you can respond. In one of four ways. One. If you look on your outline. Is with conditional forgiveness. I will forgive. If. You do this. Or as soon as. You pay me back. That's conditional. I will forgive if you make things right. I will forgive if you admit to your fault. Then I'll forgive you. See, that's conditional forgiveness. And if you're doing this, your relationship is going in the wrong way. Then we have what we call partial forgiveness. I forgive you. But, or just leave me alone. I forgive you, but don't expect me to forget. I forgive you, just get out of my life. I'll forgive you until that happens again. You know, there are a lot of people willing to forgive as long as we don't have to have anything to do with you anymore. That's bad. Partial forgiveness. I'll forgive you, but just get out of my life. We do that. We do that. We don't want to let people off the hook. And so we keep them at a distance. That's partial forgiveness. Then there's delayed forgiveness. I'll forgive you, just not now. Or I'll forgive you, just give me some more time. I'm not ready right now. I'm not ready. Someday I'll forgive you. That's partial forgiveness. That's delayed forgiveness And most of us would rather sit on a judgment seat than on a mercy seat. If you are still ignoring somebody in the church, if you are indifferent towards somebody, if you're giving somebody the silent treatment and not speaking to them, you are on a judgment seat. And you have not given forgiveness. So there's conditional... There's partial, there's delayed, and lastly, there's true forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness is to release, to remit, to send away, to cancel the penalty. And I just like to say, let it go. Let it go. True forgiveness always seeks the best interest and the welfare of the offender always seeks the best interest and the welfare of the offender. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers back in Genesis 37, Joseph doesn't say, I forgive you. Now, now get out of my life. Go away. Don't bother me anymore. No, he doesn't respond like that. What does he do? And let me tell you, this took a long chunk of his life. It took 13 years from the time he was 17 to the time he was 30. After forgiving them, he comforts them and he provides for them. And he says, I want to be a blessing to you and to your family. What's the point here? You haven't forgiven someone until you have ministered to them. You haven't forgiven someone until you have ministered to them. No church, no family, no friendship, no marriage, no society can function without forgiveness. There has to be forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, there are Zibas out there by the dozens. Even in church. Even in church? Yes, even in church. Not this one, of course. (laughs) The point is, You cannot have delicate, china-doll, sensitive skin. Because the slightest little comment is going to pinprick you and damage you. You have to be thick-skinned. Mephibosheth had a soft heart and thick skin. And let me tell you something, if you're thinking about doing ministry, if you're thinking about doing ministry, you need rhinoceros skin. Is that right, Steve? Amen. Amen. Say amen. Amen. There it is. Mephibosheth had a soft heart and thick skin. People are going to talk about you. People are going to misalign you. They're going to slander you without even talking to you. The proud have a hard time forgiving and giving grace. The proud. That's why the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when you view view yourself as a dead dog, Then you can respond with forgiveness and grace. Mephibosheth responded with grace. Brothers and sisters, give grace. Don't hold on to anger and bitterness. Mephibosheth realized he had been restored and reconciled. So he does the same to Ziba. That is forgiveness, mercy, and grace. If you have experienced the grace of God... And he forgave you of all your wicked sins. How can you not forgive somebody else and show them grace? C.S. Lewis, famous Christian writer, said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Let me say that again. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. <clears> hmm <throat> Mm. chew that for a minute. You say, but that isn't fair. That's right. Forgiveness isn't fair. Which is one of the hardest things about it. Grace is not about forgiveness. Remember what I said, if we got what we really deserved, we'd be in trouble. Forgiveness is unnatural. Forgiveness is no simple thing. And I... I want to tell you, when we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then later on, we realize that the prisoner that we set free was me. I can tell you from experience that this is true. Don't hold on to anger because it turns into bitterness and bitterness Is bad. And you think you're giving poison to somebody else. But what's really happening? You're the one swallowing the poison. Joseph had a well deserved grudge against his brothers. They sold him into slavery. They stripped him of his robe. They slandered him. Well, Potiphar's wife slandered him. And then he was sentenced to prison. He had a grudge that he could have said, I want. A pound of flesh, but he forgave he forgave, and that was powerful because of because of God. He even named his son Manasseh, one who causes to be forgotten, and that 's what God does when you come to God and you ask him to forgive you and turn your life over through faith, He pours out grace that will pardon and cleanse within, cleanse away all your sin that is forgiveness. If you are not a Christian, then you are Mephibosheth, crippled with sin, hiding from the king. But the king's grace is extended to you because of another, Jesus Christ. And you can become part of the king's family, eat at his table, and have fellowship and direct access by putting your faith in Christ. If you are a believer and a Christian, then you are David. And you must seek out the enemies to bless them and show them the kindness of God. About a year ago, my daughter Becky needed some work done on, on the car that she had. And um, me, being the responsible father, said, Ah, uh, you, I know you need to get this work done. It's raining, it's snowing up there. But, yeah, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to loan you the money to get this timing belt and water pump done. It was about 1100 bucks. Okay, I'll loan you the money, but you're going to pay me back. <laughs> okay, okay. So I wrote down, okay, this is the money I loaned you on this date. And then she made one payment. No, not much. A little small payment. I wrote it down. Okay, almost $1,000 you owe me. Stuck it by my, my computer. Left it there. At Christmas time, she came home. And I guess she must have gone on my computer because she saw my little stickum that says how much she owed. And what she did, that little girl, she put plus grace. Threw a line. The balance now is zero. (laughs) Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. She left. She went back home in Seattle. About a a couple days later, I went to go do something. And I saw that. And I thought, what? I had the best laugh by myself. Because she understood that grace is an undeserved act of kindness. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Let us bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. The Bible says in 1 John four ten, Here is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. That is what's so amazing about grace. Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts. And I pray those who don't know you would cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank you, Lord, for finding me when I wasn't looking, for loving me when I didn't deserve it, and for adopting me even though I'm most unworthy. Grace really is so amazing. Bless your word, Lord. Speak speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. Amen.